Uh, I'm uh, excited to be here. Um, welcome to Living Stones. Uh, this is a big day. Uh, and my name is Gavin. I'm one of the pastors in Living Stones. I'm the lead teaching pastor of Living Stones Carson City. Uh, and, and you guys out here have been trekking on for years and seeing God move in your community. And uh, today begins a new chapter where you join the Living Stones family. And so you join our church in Reno and in Sparks and in Carson City and in South Reno and in Elko. Uh, and you get the chance uh, to continue to be a blessing to the city, to continue to share the gospel to the city and to see people their lives changed as they meet Jesus for the first time, as their marriages are healed, and as they see who exactly Jesus is. Uh, and, and I know that, that we're like, woo, it's launch day at Living Stones. And you're like, we're in the middle of a middle school gym. I promised I would never go back to middle school. Like, this, this is a nightmare. Like, what am I doing here? Uh, and uh, my encouragement to you is this, is that God is moving in your church. Uh, today, four baptisms are being celebrated. Four people are saying, I believe in King Jesus, uh, and, and he is my Savior and my Lord. He's on and from my sin. Uh, and you see that the church continues on and on, and the work of God is not how fancy your building is, uh, be, uh, although this is a fancy middle school as far as middle schools go. It's not how comfortable these chairs are, which they're not. Like, we can put that out of the way right now. Um, but it's in the power of God transforming people's lives. Um, that is what matters, and that's what uh, unites us. And so um, whether you're called uh, Journey Fernley or Living Stones Fernley, uh, the king above all kings is Jesus Christ. Uh, and we get to continue together as a church family uh, and pray for each other and love each other. Uh, so uh, a little bit about myself. Um, I, Like I said, I'm a pastor over in, in Carson City. Uh, that's actually a pretty new development. A year ago, I was an associate pastor at Living Stones Sparks. Uh, so we uh, were uh, asked to, to apply when there was an opening for that church, and God is moving in Carson City, and some amazing things are happening. Um, I'm married to an amazing woman. Uh, she's uh, been my wife for 10 years. We've been dating for 15. Uh, about three years before that, we didn't like each other, um, so we're making good progress. Uh, and uh, I have uh, three kids. I've got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and an eight-month-old, all boys. Uh, and they toughen me up um, because when they walk by you, uh, they're like, hey, Dad, and their expression of love is I'm going to punch you wherever I can punch you. So that's my kids, and I love them, and, and I love being a father to those boys, and um, oftentimes I'll use those analogies in uh, illustrations or teaching, and, and that's kind of why. And uh, I've been a part of Living Stones now for about 11 years. Uh, so a long time, and uh, this is pretty common. It's pretty common for us to um, begin our churches in the middle of gyms and basements. That's where we meet in Carson City. And uh, old Catholic churches, which that's the basement that we meet in. And, and warehouses and things like that. And, and we've had an opportunity um, at Living Stones to see God move in mighty ways. Uh, and if you're here and you're a regular attender of Journey, uh, now Living Stones, uh, or if you are a member, welcome. 
uh, is a joy to be able to come and talk about Jesus with you this morning. Uh, if you are brand new here, maybe you were invited because of the baptisms or because of the prayer um, for the Mexico mission trip, or uh, you would consider yourself a seeker or a skeptic or a, I have no interest in Jesus, I was just bribed here with lunch. Um, I'm grateful that you're here. Uh, because who we are at Living Stones is we want to look at who Jesus is. And we don't want to go off of our, uh, our feelings or our opinions of that. So we open the Bible every single week and we look at what God's word has to say for us. We sing about Jesus in song and we greet each other because we don't just uh, meet in a vacuum, but we meet with the church and we gather together as we worship Jesus. And uh, we promise that we're not going to do anything weird to you. Or at least that weird. Like some people are being dunked in water later. That's kind of special. Um, and, um, uh, but you might be like, the, the raising of hands, the singing, that was kind of strange. But all that is is our excitement about our Savior and our Lord. And my hope here, if you're not a Christian, is that you would dive into the text yourself and you would look at what God has to say about himself. Now, today we're starting our Advent series. And Advent just means approach. Uh, it's the word that would be used in the Latin when an army was approaching. And it's the time of year that we begin to prepare um, our hearts and minds for worship that Christmas is coming and we're not talking about just the gifts. We're not talking about all the hecticness, all the craziness. We're talking about the day that we celebrate that Jesus was born. But during Advent, we recognize that this was a hope that was long awaited by the church and long awaited by the people of God. It, it was a very long time before Jesus actually arrived on the scene. And they had that hope and that expectation waiting for Jesus to arrive. And in the same way as Christians, we believe that Jesus uh, is God, the Son of God, that he was born, that he humbled himself um, to become a human being. And then he lived a perfect life for us. He died on a cross. He rose from death. And he now reigns alive in heaven. And one day he's going to return. And if you say, well, when is one day? And I, I will say, well, it's a lot sooner than it was about 2,000 years ago. Um, but I don't know. It could be tomorrow. It could be next year. It could be in 100 years. It could be in 1,000 years. So just like the people of God um, from times past, we find ourselves in a time of waiting and expectation. The difference between then and now, though, is that our Lord has already come once, and so we believe that he will return again, and we have a hope that he will fulfill that promise. And so today, our sermon and our text is about how God keeps his promises. That's, that's it. God keeps his promises. And in that, we're going to see that God keeps his promises um, by sending the promised Christ. We'll talk about what that means. Uh, that he keeps his promises um, by keeping the promised people. And then he keeps his promises by, by giving his promised redemption. And so God keeps his promises by sending the promised Christ, by keeping his promised people, and by uh, redeeming uh, people according to his promise. So that's what we're looking at. And, and I just said, you know, at Living Stones, we're not going to do anything weird. We're not going to talk about anything weird. Um, we just read, a, or rather Renee just read, a giant list of names. Like this is shaping up to be like one of those sermons that Reverend Lovejoy would give in The Simpsons, uh, where they're all huddled up and shivering, and, and he's just reading a long list of names, and you're like, oh, when is this guy going to be done? Like, what does this have to do with me? Like, I, I'm not going to, this is not going to be a memory verse. Like, 
I'm not going to stake my faith on all of these names. So that's what we're going we're to talk about today. And we're not actually going to go line by line and look at everything, but we're going to talk about the role of genealogies in, in showing what Matthew, the author of this book, wants to show us. So the very first verse says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And then this comes up again in verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Now, uh, if we grow up in a, a state and a country where you're like, well, I thought Christ was Jesus's last name. Um, isn't that just like his last name or isn't that like the combination that you make? Like when you smash your, your finger with a hammer, uh, you, you exclaim, Jesus. And when you really hurt yourself, you add the last name to it. That's how it works in our culture. Um, but that's not what Christ means. You see, Christ means anointed one. And in the, the Hebrew, this would mean that Jesus is someone called the Messiah uh, or the promised king. And that's important because anybody, uh, not anybody, but lots of people can be kings. Lots of people have been kings. But here it claims that Jesus is the promised king, the anointed king from God that has come into this world. And, and so this is something that humanity has been waiting for since the very beginning. This whole thing started at the beginning of the Bible on page 3, where God said that there will be enmity between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the snake, and he will crush the snake's head, and the snake will bruise his heel. The, the son of, of man will destroy the snake, and the snake will injure the offspring of the woman, but not fatally wound. And that's a promise that we see fulfilled in Jesus. And so here we see that Matthew is making a bold claim, a thesis, right from the very beginning. Uh, this is the genealogy of Jesus called the Christ, the promised king. And, and the reason that Jesus came into this world uh, was not as that generation was starting to expect that he would be this great military leader that would overthrow their oppressors that was found in the Roman Empire. We see that the promise of Scripture over and over and over again was that God was sending a Savior who would redeem his people from their sin. That the, very, the original human problem is our disconnect from God. It's that when humans were, were put into the garden and, and given a paradise and told to work it, they had perfect fellowship with God. Um, but then uh, the enemy of God came um, in the form of a snake and said, you can be God. You can be the one that has power. You can be the one that is the master of your own destiny. And, and human beings believed the lie instead of the truth. And ever since then, we found that we have broken relationship with ourselves and God we have broken relationship with ourselves and other people. We have broken relationships with ourselves and this earth, it feels like sometimes. And we have broken relationships with ourselves. Uh, so, uh, like, we see the beauty of the world. We see that, that there's so much beauty in um, nature and in relationships. And, and even in our own selves, sometimes we see glimpses of creativity and joy. But, but oftentimes we sometimes see the brokenness um, that we are trapped in. And the Bible calls these things sin. It's our relational disconnect between God, ourselves, each other, and this earth. That's what that's called. And so Jesus 
is the long-awaited promise that would begin to restore and undo all of the corruption and all of the hurt and all of the harm and all of the crimes against God and humanity that has ever occurred. And Matthew has an opportunity right now to begin to explain to us how he knows that this is the Christ. Because the word gospel means good news. So when you see the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible, which, by the way, if you haven't read a Bible before, steal one of these Bibles here and take it home and read those. These are four reporters giving good news about Jesus Christ from their perspective. And Matthew wants to show you that Jesus is the promised king. And so the way that he's going to do this is he's going to unpack a lengthy genealogy uh, starting in verse 2 and going all the way through verse 16. And you see a similar genealogy in the book of Luke. Now the reason that he does this is because genealogies are a sure way to show that Jesus is of the lineage of the Messiah. That, that, he is fulfill, that he is the fulfillment of lots of promises. And so I like the Marvel movies. Um, some of you don't because that's just not your cup of tea. Some of you don't because you're mega Marvel fans and you're, you just don't like the way that they went with that concept and that they didn't match the comic books. Um, and, and I'm in the middle. I, I'm just, I'm basic. Like, I like the movies. Um, and when I went to go see Infinity War, it was after a lot of time and a lot of money watching every single one of those Marvel movies. And so when it finally got to Infinity War and Endgame, I was so excited because every single plot line was addressed and there was so much that came up from the other movies that was addressed and it was all over the place. <coughs> Excuse me. But my friends who have never seen the Marvel movies, they were like, it was good, I guess. Uh, and they, they followed the same plot, but it wasn't the same experience for them because they didn't know everything that had come before it. And so it is for us. Like, oftentimes we don't know the Bible very, uh, very well, um, myself included. But for someone that was born in Judea, someone that was one of the people of God, this was like the infinity war to end infinity wars. Because what Matthew does in this genealogy is he summarizes the entire Old Testament in about 16 verses. That's what he does. And so through that, if you were part of the people of God that was waiting for the Messiah, waiting for his first coming, you would hear this and you would say, oh my gosh, is this really happening right now? Like, is this it? Like, is this the culmination of all of our hopes and our desires right now? And some people would argue, well, well I don't see what the big deal is. It's just a genealogy. Um, well, a genealogy can be fact-checked. A genealogy can be verified. And at the time that Matthew is writing this, he's not just making up names. He's copying public record of who Jesus is and what his lineage is um, through the human side of things. We'll talk a little bit more about that <coughs> at the end of the sermon. And Tim has a couple of cough drops up here. I'm going to take advantage of that. Um, I, I listened to Tim preach a few weeks ago, and he had a, a nasty cold, and I think I caught it through listening to the podcast. <laughs> awesome. So this is public record. This is available to all to see. 
Uh, and if anyone was doubting and saying, is that true? Is, is Jesus really of the line of Abraham? Is he really a son of David? They could go and they could verify that. Now, uh, some of us are skeptics or cynical. We might say, well, genealogies can be forged. But if you look at verse 13, <coughs> if you look at verse uh, 11 and, and 12, sorry, it says, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatel. And, and this is important because uh, Matthew is making a theological point that Jesus came in the fullness of time, that God keeps his promises, and Jesus is the promised Christ. And so he wants to create six groups of seven, or 14 generations. So time chunks showing the completion of time through the history of the people of God. The problem is, is that he doesn't have 14 names for the final period. So he uses Je Jehoiakim twice uh, and says, well, I don't have 14. And now at this point, he could have made somebody up if he was just forging this, if he was just making something up. But he can't because he's not making something up. He's using public record. And so he brings Jehoiakim over twice. And so here in this Western context, we're like, well, you didn't exactly meet 14, mister. Game over. I don't have to listen to Jesus ever again. Um, the, the thing is, is that this is not a historical accounting as much as it's a theological one. But he does not lie in the midst of that. He doesn't make names up. And cultures that have a verbal history know this. Um, Don Richardson shares in, in one of his stories about uh, being a missionary uh, in uh, Asia and in Indonesia and in all these places is that a missionary was having a hard time in this village uh, as he was sharing the good news about who Jesus was. And, and some people were becoming Christians, but it wasn't very many. But one day, uh, a lot of people kind of gathered outside the missionary's house. Uh, along with the elders of the village. And he's worried because, like, oh no, what are they going to do? Are they upset at me? And they say, hey, we've been reading this book and we want to know what all of this is. And they showed him all of the genealogies of Scripture and, and how almost every book in the Old Testament has these lists of names. And then the book of Matthew has this long list of names. And, and he said, oh, that's the genealogy. That's the, uh, the line of succession from, from all these people, um, the family line. Um, and they said, why didn't you show us this before? And he said, well, I, it's, you know, he gave them the response that we would. Well, it's just the list of names. It's the thing that you skip when you read the Bible. Like, it's the thing that doesn't apply to you because if it was your family, that'd be really cool. But since it's not your family, you kind of just ignore it. Um, but at that moment, they said, so you're saying that this Jesus came through all of this family and that this is true. Because to them, how they traced history wasn't through history books, it was through family lines. And so the fact that the genealogies were included in Scripture, to them, made them realize this is true, and this is an accurate reporting that Jesus has actually arrived. And the village became Christians because they understood, because it's their culture, that you don't trace history through history books, but through genealogies. And so this is a history of the Messiah. And what it shows us is this. This is a long time covered in this passage. Oftentimes we can get frustrated about the, the promises of God and, and think, is God real? Is he worth it? Does he answer prayer? Is he faithful? We may even find ourselves saying something similar to what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, which is, where's the promise of his coming? Like, if, if Jesus is returning, where is he? Uh, I don't see his work 
in this world. But later on in that same book, Peter replies, the Lord keeps his promises. He's not slow in keeping them, but he's patient because he does not desire that anyone would perish. And what we see here is that Jesus came, not late, but in the fullness of time, when it was time for him to arrive, because God keeps his promises. And so if you're here and you struggle with the idea of, can I trust God? Because I've got a lot of stuff going on in my life, and and sometimes I feel like I can't even hold on. And first off, I've got good news. Oftentimes, God moves a lot faster than thousands and thousands of years. But second, for his children, God always keeps his promises. Even if it feels slow to us, it's not slow to God. He is good and has perfect timing, and he knows exactly when to answer our prayers. And so, in the fullness of time, God kept his promise and sent the promised Christ. Now, who did he send the promised Christ to? Well, first, he sent it to um, the Jewish people. And that's important because God made a promise long, long ago to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through him. And if Abraham had died out, if his line eventually had died out, then God would not have fulfilled his promises. But what this genealogy shows is that God was faithful to keep the people of Israel even when times were tough. And so if you look at verse 2, it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Now why does it bring up Judah's brothers? He's not in the direct line. The reason that he does that is he's showing that in a time of famine, when the people of God should have been destroyed, God moved miraculously and ensured that they would survive. And he says it again later on. In verse 11, And Josiah, the father of Jehoconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. (coughs) And so there was a time in the people of Israel where they were all deported. Their cities were destroyed and they were exiles. And, And at that point, you could see easily that that could be game over for God's promises. Because the, the purpose of exile was to disperse a people and to pollute their bloodline so that they didn't have a common heritage anymore. But God here again moves miraculously and he preserves the Jewish people. And that's why it says, and his brothers, because again, we're shown a great crisis where the norm would be that there would no longer be a line of Abraham. There would no longer be sons of David. But here, God saved again. And so over and over in this passage, we see that God fulfills his promises to Abraham and to David. His promise to Abraham was that he would make him a great nation through whom all the nations on the earth would be blessed. His promise to David was that David would not fail to have someone who sits on the throne of God forever. The throne forever. I don't think it says throne of God, but sit on the throne forever. And we see that in Jesus, both of these promises are kept. But it's not just for the Jewish people. It's also for everybody else in the world. And we know this through a a peculiarity of this genealogy, which is that it includes women. Uh, So back then, usually you didn't make a genealogy that included the women of the line. But here, four are used before Mary. Uh, We see in verse 3 that there's uh, Tamar. She's one of the the wives. The second is um, 
Rahab in verse 5, and then Ruth in verse 5 as well. And then finally we see uh, right after David that he was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and that's in verse 6. Now, all four of these women have scandalous stories, but they also share something else in common, that they are all closely associated to Gentiles, which a Gentile is everybody that's not Jewish. So Tamar is a Canaanite woman, and uh, Rahab was another Canaanite woman who became an Israelite. And Ruth was a Moabite, which is oftentimes an enemy of the people of God. They're not even allowed in the Old Testament to go inside the temple. But she's in the line of Jesus Christ. And then finally we see David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Um, we don't know whether Bathsheba was Jewish or not, but we do know that she married into a Gentile family and, and therefore, in a sense, gave up her Jewish identity. And so here we see that Jesus is born not just to the, the Jewish people, but that over and over again, there are Gentiles in his family line. And the reason that we're shown this is because the promise of Jesus is not only for the Jewish people, but it's for all people. And we see here through the women that are in this genealogy that we can claim the promise of Jesus and become one of his people. Now, Scripture says this over and over and over again. But if I could personally turn your attention to of two verses, the first would be Galatians chapter 3. So if you want to turn there, you can. If not, I'm going to read it. Um, but if you do turn there, go ahead and keep your finger uh, in Matthew Galatians is on page 973. In chapter 3, verse 7 and 9, it says this. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, this is important because we see in the lives of these four women and in the midst of their scandal and their stories that when they joined the people of God, it wasn't because they were these excellent, outstanding people. One was pretty outstanding, but it was pretty providential that she then entered into the line of Christ. But rather, all of them at some point had faith in God. And because of their faith in God, they become great-grandmothers of Joseph, who becomes Jesus' stepfather. And they become great-grandmothers of Mary, who is the mother of Christ. And that is a powerful thing. And, and what Paul is saying in Galatians is what we see in this genealogy, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then over and over in this genealogy, uh, even though they're not born to Abraham, people are entering into the family line of Abraham, not because they're awesome people, but because of faith, but because they believe God's promises. And so for us, church, you are one of the promised people of God if you believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you are one of the promised people of God. And this genealogy, in a spiritual sense, is yours. And this is what 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 and 22 say. Paul in that section says, So let no one boast in men, 
For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the presence or the future, all things are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. And here it says, don't be ashamed of who you are when you come to Jesus. No one who comes to Jesus has a good enough of a pedigree to go to God themselves. Everybody that goes to Jesus in faith is given this pedigree. The pedigree of a saved people who aren't righteous because they're good people, but are righteous because of the God that they have faith in. And so if you believe, my friends, my fellow Gentiles, and if you're here, you're you're Jewish, you as well. When you believe in the promises of God and when you believe in Christ, then all these things are yours and you are one of God's people. And this is why that's so powerful. It's powerful because of the redemption that God promises. So my, my mom just uh, did a DNA test and she sent me all the cool results and um, we were able to compare a little bit because I, I took a similar DNA test and so we were able to kind of see how, how our percentages have gone up and down just through me being born and, and there being a different family member. And genealogies and things like that are really cool. But all of us know that what makes a genealogy cool is if there are famous people who are older than us, if we are born of famous people. Um, the people who we are descended from don't really care about us um, because, one, they're dead, uh, and two, um, there's nothing that we have usually done that even matches the greatness of some great ancestor in the past. And that is how this genealogy starts. In verse uh, 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The wording of it starts like um, it starts in Genesis that we are to be excited about who Jesus is a descendant of. But then in the last couple of verses, everything gets turned on its head. In verse 16, it says this, And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. You see, everything before this said, this person was the father of this person, this person was the father of this person, this person was the father of this person, but not with Jesus. Because first, Jesus was born of a virgin. That's going to be something that we'll be exploring in the coming weeks, that Joseph is his stepfather and and was a good father. If you look at the accounts in Matthew, he is a good father to his adopted son, Jesus. Um, But he is not the father of Jesus. And that's important for a lot of reasons. But in the context of this, this is why it's important. If you are the father of someone in this culture, it means that you are greater than them. Here, even though Jesus is descended in the human side from all of these people, and and you can trust this genealogy is accurate, none of them is his father because he is greater than all of them. Jesus is the greatest one on this list. And if you look at it that way, and you look at the names that, fought, that are the people that he's descended from, you realize that they aren't saints. And, and what I mean by that is they're not squeaky clean. They're not good people in a lot of senses. And, and you could list them and look through, and most of them have recorded sins, uh, recorded relational disharmonies, um, recorded in the Bible. So we know about their mistakes until Jesus comes back. Like, it's on record. Jesus owns this. And he says, I am the one that was coming. 
You think that, that all of this was a mess leading up to this? In one sense, it was. But in another sense, I claim this as what I am redeeming. And in a sense, the genealogy here starts with Jesus then looking back at all of his forefathers through the flesh and saying, I am here to redeem and restore all of this. The sins of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and everybody else in this line, the sins of the exile that were put on these people, the disharmony, the brokenness, the death, I'm here to redeem. And for those of us here that are reading this genealogy, we have to accept this. There are some broken people in the pages of the Bible. You know, the majority of the Bible was written by murderers. Um, Moses murdered an Egyptian, and he, he uh, authored the first five books of the Bible through the Holy Spirit. David was a murderer. He wrote the Psalms. He wrote some of the Proverbs. The stories are about him. Saul, who became Paul, is a murderer, and he wrote the majority of the New Testament. Um, the majority of the Bible is written by murderers, and all of them found salvation and redemption in Jesus Christ. There's not a single story in this room that Jesus cannot redeem and own. And, and if you're hurting and if you're broken in here, you might say, that can't be true. And, and, and I would say, well, here's the proof. God gave you a list of names that he claimed their story as his and said, I am going to redeem this people. Maybe you're here and you're like, I'm good. But dark times come because this world is full of suffering. And one day you need to remember that you were a child of God. Not because you did anything special, not because you were born to a special family, but because Jesus is your redeemer and he owns your story. That hope will sustain you in the midst of all of life's difficulties. Because even if everything is ripped away from you, ripped away from us, one day we'll be able to, to look at that and say, yeah, but what can't be ripped away from me is that I'm a child of God. What can't be ripped away from me is that this scripture is my heritage, and it always will be because of the greatness of my Lord. And we look at what Jesus did at Christmas time. He, he was born um, in the human flesh with sweat and blood and tears and mud and boogers and, and all sorts of things. And he did it to save us. And, and it wasn't enough for him to just come and be born, he also was born to die. And it was through dying that he made a perfect sacrifice for our sins, for our disharmonies, for our insecurities, for our wounds. And he owned our story. And to prove that our story couldn't conquer him, he rose from the grave. Saying, if death can't hold me, what makes me think that your story is too big for me to hold? And so when we are approaching Christmas, this is the hope that we hold to that God keeps his promises. We get to look back that Jesus was actually born. He actually came into our world. And that through the scriptures, we see that he promises that he's going to return one day and he's going to end sickness, disease, and death forever. But in the meantime, he holds our story and he has redeemed us. And all it takes to be part of that family of God is to believe in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we praise you that you are greater than our story. You are greater than our heritage. And God, you are far more patient than us. And that you do not give up on your people. 
God, there are four people getting baptized and declaring Jesus as king. I pray, Lord God, that um, if at all possible that there are some people that say, I want Jesus as my king too, that they would come to the communion um, in a little bit and, and they would rejoice that Jesus saves us from all sin. God, I pray for those here who are struggling, uh, who feel like they can't stand before you, feel like they can't pray to you because of their sin, feel like they're unworthy in some sense. And I pray, God, that, that you would remind them that they are worthy, not because of who they are, but because of who you are. And God, for those who feel guilty of things that they've done and committed, show that you fulfilled your promise, not because we were good people, but because you are a good God. And that you sent a savior to us who redeems us and saves us from our sin. It's in Christ's name that we pray for all these things. Amen. So now we're, we're going to enter into a time of communion together. Um, and uh, if I could have the communion attendants come up. Everybody already is. That's awesome. Um, when we take communion, we eat the bread that represents Christ's body that was broken for us. And when we drink the, the wine or the grape juice, depending on your conscience, we are declaring that Christ's blood was spilled for us. And, and today, if you're discouraged or even if you're in a good place, let this be a a holy moment where you say, this is a reminder that Jesus saved me. Now, if you're not a Christian, we're really glad that you're here. I hope that you'll keep coming back. Um, and again, we're never going to do anything weird. This is perhaps the one part of the service that we don't ask people who aren't Christians to uh, participate in. Because if you take communion, but you're not really a Christian, um, you're, you're saying one thing, but believing another. And that wouldn't be fair to you. That wouldn't be fair to everybody else. And so I would ask that you wouldn't take communion at this time. Um, but if you are a Christian and you do believe Jesus is your king or you're, um, you say, well, I don't know if I'm a Christian, but I believe that, then I have news for you. You're a Christian. Sorry to label you millennials. Um, um, come and take the Lord's Supper. And let's uh, treat this as a part of our worship and, and celebrate what Jesus has done for us in coming and God fulfilling his promises. Um, so when you're ready, go ahead and stand and uh, come forward and our attendants will uh, administer communion to you.